I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the relation between taxes and inflation. In June 2022, inflation reached a 40-year high. With soaring prices for everything from gas to rent, individuals are frustrated, and some politicians have made calls to adjust tax policies in response to the issue. In today's episode, we explain inflation at a high level and examine its relation to taxes. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. Today we're talking about something that's been on everybody's mind lately. Ooh, is it that TikTok video about how to make healthy Coke with balsamic vinegar? Ew. Also, I'm assuming you mean Coke is in Coca-Cola, not Coke is in cocaine, but it's actually a moot point because neither one has a version that's healthy. Fair point. It is. It is the Coca-Cola. Yes. But okay. So if we're not talking about that, um, let me guess. Is it, oh, Kim Kardashian's chia pudding recipe? Okay, I do love chia pudding, um, but I refuse to keep up with the Kardashians. So no. Also, what is wrong with you? Almost everything. Inflation. We're talking about inflation. Oh man, not even our podcast is safe from inflation. This sucks. Agreed. Yes, nothing is safe from inflation these days. Well, I guess in some ways we are kind of insulated from inflation because we haven't had to raise our podcast prices yet. True, but if we had a good or service that anybody was actually willing to pay for, then yes, we probably would have raised our prices by now. Mm So kind of a double-edged sword there. Mm -hmm. See, you see, there really are no bright sides. (laughs) As you keep saying. (laughs) Anyway, yes, we are talking about inflation today and we have three goals. Number one, explain what inflation is. Number two, Discuss how inflation affects your taxes almost every year in ways you might not even think about. And number three, talk about how taxes can affect inflation. Dr. Simone. Oh dear, I'm in trouble now. Since you are the one with an economics degree, I think it is appropriate that you kick it off with an explanation of what inflation is. Okay, you took PhD level economics with me too. I don't recall that at all. I have no memory of this. <laughs> Okay. Put simply, inflation is the increase in prices over time. For example, in 1978, a gallon of gas cost about 65 cents. 40 years later, a gallon was $2.57 in Mississippi and $3.77 in Hawaii. That increase in prices over that 40-year period is inflation. On average, from 1960 through 2021, inflation was about 4% per year. Okay. That sounds scarily simple. Things get more expensive over time. Check. Why? Ah, yes. Well, some inflation is built into the economy. This is referred to as the wage price spiral. Workers demand higher wages to afford higher costs of living, which causes businesses to raise prices so that they could cover those higher wages, which then in turn raises the cost of living. And round and round we go. Okay. Inflation can also occur when demand outpaces supply. That's what happens during periods of, say, extreme supply chain issues like we've seen since the early days of the pandemic. And it leads to higher prices because some are willing to pay much, much more in order to get that product when the product is scarce. Inflation can also happen when the cost of producing goods and offering services rise and businesses increase prices to recoup those costs. Okay, so now I am flashing back to that PhD level economics class you referred to. You do remember it. Do I do? I tried to block it. You wouldn't let me. 
Um, I'm having a vision of spending 90 minutes watching our professor prove mathematically with proofs that demand curves slope downward. Mm -hmm. And I would have happily just taken her word for it. Yeah. If I remember correctly, and um, like most things from that class, I, I probably do not remember correctly. I thought we were asked to rehash that proof on an exam. Good times. And I'm assuming that's the exam that I got a 19 out of 100 on. I don't want to name names here, but you, you did better than some in our cohort. I remember that. I did. And I had enough um, self-awareness to not email the professor and ask if it was a mistake. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So thinking about uh, micro makes me a little grumpy. Mm -hmm. And I think that thinking about inflation makes most of us grumpy right now. So I want to ask the difficult question, is inflation always a bad thing? Ooh, that is a good question. And the answer is not necessarily. In fact, very low inflation can be a sign that the economy is sluggish and that demand is lower than it otherwise, quote unquote, should be, mm -hmm. which can depress wages mm -hmm. and make it harder for us to afford things. So not too long ago, many economists around the world were lamenting that despite the best efforts of those turning the wheels of fiscal and monetary policy, they could not get inflation to budge up. And you said something about depressed wages. And so, okay, yeah, we don't want inflation to be too low because nobody loves a sad wage. Nobody. In general, economists tend to think an inflation rate of about 2% a year, give or take, is desirable. All right. So just to make sure I'm tracking what you're saying... That 9.1% inflation rate that we hit for mm. the 12 months ending June 2022 is then less than desirable. Yes, that is what I am saying. Good. I'm with you. So you've explained what inflation is. We've decided that it's too high right now. What exactly got us into this pickle? Uh, yes, it was kind of a perfect storm. Oh, I love that book. I did not love the movie. I love all things George Clooney. Enough said. Fair enough. A lot of things are driving inflation right now. For starters, consumers are spending a lot. Many people who are able to work from home saved a lot more than usual during the pandemic. Yeah, because you know, remember you couldn't leave your house to go out to eat, you couldn't go to a bar, you couldn't travel, you couldn't really have any fun. Nope. And even online shopping was difficult because things were getting severely delayed as those supply chain issues you mentioned earlier started to flare up. Exactly. By some estimates, folks stashed away $3.7 trillion during the pandemic. And now those people are looking for ways to get out and enjoy life again. And they have some pent up savings to do so. So demand is way, way up. Mm -hmm. On top of that, supply is down because of those supply chain issues. Business shutdowns during the pandemic lowered production and global shipping backlogs have led to product shortages. And now we have a little bit of an oil crisis on top of it thanks to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. All right, so again, flashing back to micro, looking at the graphs on the board, see if I get this right, more demand, higher prices. Yes. Lower supply, higher prices. Correct. So when both things happen at the same time, you get record high levels of inflation. And now this is reminding me of an infographic I saw on Instagram. Which is your other source of education besides teen dramas from 30 years ago. Continue. Uh, yes. And to quote Wiza Boudreaux from Steel Magnolias, oh I don't read books because if they're any good, they're going to make them into a miniseries. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the infographic, very informative. It was NPR, at least. So it was coming from a reliable news source. All right. It said that the price of beer is up 25% from last year. Don't care too much about that because I'm not a beer drinker. Thankfully, nope. the price of wine and ice cream is only up about 6%. 
Oh, thank goodness. I read that TV prices are way down over the past 12 months. And hmm. I, I guess that kind of makes sense because I've pretty much run out of things to watch. And I guess maybe this is why Netflix is hemorrhaging subscribers on a daily basis. Possibly. People want to get out of the house and actually do things again rather than watch whatever is left to watch that they haven't watched over the last two years. And it, it ain't much. It ain't much. We can tick off the first item on our list, defining inflation. So now on to number two, how inflation affects your income taxes in a regular year. And once again, we hop in our time machine and travel back to the 1970s. I love it when we do that. That is my favorite decade. Were you even alive during the 70s? It doesn't matter. I missed it by two weeks, okay? Fair enough. All right. So this time we're going to go back to 1979 when Senator Bob Dole literally stood on the steps of the IRS building to call for support of his bill to index personal income tax rates and other elements of the tax code to the rate of inflation. In his speech, he cited a study that estimated 77% of Americans were paying more in taxes each year during the late 70s solely because of inflation, a phenomenon that he termed taxflation, which I think he could have done better because, I, I don't know, it sounds like a like a digestive disorder or something. I got a little taxflation brewing. Ew. That visual is, is, is not doing it for me today. Sorry. Dole's plea came in the middle of a period of particularly high inflation in the U.S., hitting close to 10% between 1974 and 1975, and again from 1980 to 1981. Indexing for inflation was finally enacted as part of the Economic Recovery Tax Act of 1981 and became effective in 1985 following three years of tax rate cuts. President Reagan explained that without indexing, inflation would effectively negate the tax rate cuts by pushing people into higher tax brackets, something known as bracket creep. And that sounds like some sort of skin disorder. I was going to say like some misbehavior on the internet. Ooh, yeah, a bracket creep. Okay, all right. Yeah. I like it. I don't know why grayscale from Game of Thrones came to mind. I don't know. Because it's like creep <laughs> up your skin, whatever. Anyway, can I please have an example of what bracket creep is, and I'm hoping it doesn't involve an internet stalker. As you wish. Oh, I love you too. They're kissing again. Do we have to read the kissing parts? All right, all right. So good. Okay, let's keep things simple and assume we have two tax brackets. Income up to $50,000 is taxed at 10%, and every dollar over $50,000 is taxed at a whopping 50%. Now that's progressive. In year one, a taxpayer making $50,000 pays $5,000 in taxes for an average tax rate of 10%. Let's say inflation is 8% for the year and our taxpayer is lucky enough to have an employer that provides cost of living increases that match the rate of inflation. That would be lucky indeed. Their new income is $54,000. They still pay $5,000 on the first $50,000, but they owe $2,000 in taxes on the last $4,000 of income because that's the 50% rate above 50,000. That makes their new tax liability $7,000 for an average tax rate of 13%. This person keeps a smaller percentage of their income solely because of inflation. But if we had indexed those tax brackets to match inflation as Senator Bob Dole wanted, the 10% bracket would apply to the first $54,000 of income, 
the taxpayer would pay $5,400 in tax and maintain their average tax rate of 10%. Failing to index tax brackets for inflation acts like a hidden tax rate increase. Gross. Yes, and the winner of a hidden tax rate increase is... The government. From 1974 to 1981, every 10% increase in wages translated to a 16% increase in tax revenue as income sailed into higher tax brackets. The government was able to basically raise more revenue without having to raise rates, which is a win-win politically. Indexing the tax brackets for inflation was a win for taxpayers and for politicians who wanted to keep rates low. And tax brackets are not the only things that are indexed for inflation. The standard deduction, the earned income tax credit income limits, retirement savings caps, estate and gift tax exemptions. All of these are some elements of the individual tax code that are indexed annually for inflation. All right, all right, but it's not all bunnies and hay because other key provisions are not indexed for inflation. The net investment income tax and the cap on deductions for state and local income taxes are two examples. Another example, and this one I thought was pretty interesting and one I had never really considered before, is capital gains. Yep. So say you buy an asset today for $10,000 and that asset's price increases to $15,000 over time just because of inflation. You would not have any increase in your purchasing power and therefore you would be no better off economically, but you would be considered to have a gain, a $5,000 capital gain. After taxes, you'd actually have less purchasing power than when you bought the asset in the first place. Which is why there are actually some proposals out there to index capital gains to inflation. It's so interesting. I learn something new every episode. And we're only talking about federal income taxes. As of 2019, 10 states in the U.S. with progressive tax brackets did not index those brackets for inflation. And few states adjust sales or property taxes to accommodate inflation. So that means as prices and property valuations rise, as they are right now, so do sales and property taxes and possibly rents. The effect of inflation on taxes can therefore affect both high and low income taxpayers. Inflation, are we calling this the COVID of 2022? Ew. And on that cheery note, let's move on to task number three. We're gonna flip the script and talk about how taxes affect inflation. Love it. Yes, so remember when I said at the top of the episode that demand was high after the pandemic? I do, I listen to everything you say. <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. Every word. <laughs> Anyway, by some accounts, stimulus payments and tax subsidies in the U.S. government offered during the pandemic contributed to inflation. A report by researchers at the San Francisco Fed found that U.S. inflation began outpacing that of other developed countries around early 2021. And this report concludes that U.S. government support payments may have added about 3% to U.S. inflation. And now some politicians are calling for tax increases to curb inflation. In April of 2022, Senator Bernie Sanders introduced the Ending Corporate Greed Act, which would impose a, wait for it, 95%. Holy moly. 95% tax on corporate profits that exceed the corporation's average profit from 2015 to 2019 after adjusting for inflation. Huh. The temporary measure would apply in 2022, 23, and 24. And don't worry though, the total corporate tax rate would not exceed 75%. Oh, well, that's a relief. Very generous of, of the burn. Sanders said, we cannot allow profitable corporations to use the specter of inflation to make obscene profits by price gouging Americans. He's got away with words. He does, he doesn't, he gets to the point. And such a tax is not unprecedented. 
During World War II, the U.S. implemented a series of windfall profits taxes that reached rates as high as 95%. Those taxes were intended to ensure that companies didn't profiteer from the war. But not everybody is convinced that tax hikes are the answer, or at least not corporate tax hikes. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board, which has a little bit of a reputation for skewing, shall we say, business-friendly. A little bit suggests that a corporate tax increase would reduce productive investment, quote, precisely when the economy needs it. Howard Glackman, senior fellow at the relatively liberal Urban Institute, agrees, stating it's difficult to see how raising taxes on the businesses that produce goods would increase the supply of those goods. Glackman goes on to write that a tax hike might be good policy, but to be effective, it would A, have to happen quickly, mm and B, would be best targeted at low and moderate income households because those are the ones that are most likely to reduce spending to lower that demand in response to a tax increase. And that sounds like a non-starter for a Democrat like Biden or Sanders. But the Dems' fascination with corporate tax hikes to combat inflation persists. Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted that, quote, Congress can fight inflation by making billionaire corporations pay a minimum in taxes. Wait a second, I didn't think corporations were people. The Supreme Court said corporations are people. And we should always listen to what the Supreme Court says. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the only way to get rid of inflation is to undo a lot of Trump tax cuts and raise tax rates. And in July 2022, the Inflation Reduction Act emerged from Senate Democrats with a proposal to implement a minimum tax on book profits of large public companies. And we have made our mm, distaste for the minimum book tax. Not strong enough. Revulsion. Okay. Straight hatred of the minimum book tax. <laughs> That's too emotional, though. We have we have rational reasons for why this is a terrible idea. Contempt. Contem- I like it. You're in okay. contempt. We have made our contempt for the minimum book tax known, and I'm sure we'll complain about it more if it passes. I'm sure we will. But, you know, shocker here, it's not just the Democrats who have potentially, let's say, unsound ideas about the relation between tax policy and inflation. I'm somehow not at all surprised. In May, our favorite Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill offering over $1 billion of tax relief through sales tax holidays. When explaining the bill, DeSantis said, quote, we are still fighting against the inflationary policies imposed on us by the Biden administration. So, Thoughts on this Republican governor's policy to lower taxes to combat inflation. Um, I didn't realize Biden was responsible for COVID. Oh, yeah. And the supply chain issues that we've had. Yes. And All of Russia's it. invasion of Ukraine. All of it. Fascinating. Anywho. Um, yeah. Let's break this down. In fairness, DeSantis is not the only state leader offering tax cuts to ease the pain of inflation that is being inflicted on their state's residents. I want to go on record as saying I don't appreciate you being fair to Ron DeSantis. I just (laughs) want to get that out there. New Mexico, Iowa, Indiana, and Idaho have all cut state taxes in some way in 2022. Next, back to Howard Gleckman's point, it is entirely unclear how cutting taxes and putting more money into individuals' pockets is going to fight inflation. Yeah. And on top of that, the reason that states are flush with cash right now, the reason that DeSantis can do this is thanks to federal pandemic relief money. Thank you, President Biden and Congress.
Okay, I was going to rebrand this segment using our newly created portmanteau of bugly, combining bad and ugly, but I dug deep and I found something good. I, I'm, I'm liking the use of the word portmanteau here. Do tell. I think it's good, or shall I say great? Who are you and what have you done with my co-host? Great, that so many provisions of the federal tax code are indexed to inflation. It's something important that I completely took for granted and also assumed had been part of the tax code for way longer than it had. I had no idea, I had no idea that indexing was younger than us. But you should have known better because most things are younger than us. It's true. One other thing I like about this is that topics like this are a really big reason we wanted to start this podcast to begin with. The interplay between inflation and taxes is nuanced, to say the least. Yet many people, including politicians, act like it's not. We don't have all the answers. There are arguments on both sides. Mm -hmm. But what I hope we've done with this episode is highlight some of the areas for careful consideration so that our listeners can be appropriately skeptical when politicians talk about how they can magically fix inflation with taxes or frankly claim that tax policies are the sole cause of inflation. I agree 100%. However, I think I detected a hint of bad in there. That's like your secret talent in life. I agree wholeheartedly, but he did detect a little hint of bad in there, which is people with influence trying to boil a complex issue down in an oversimplified way that potentially advances their own interest. Case in point, Governor DeSantis saying he is cutting taxes to fix the inflationary problems that Biden caused. And so welcome now to the ugly part because we're firmly in ugly territory. It certainly seems that some of the federal pandemic relief could have exacerbated inflation. Yes. That makes sense. But a substantial chunk of that aid was absolutely necessary to keep people afloat during a freaking global pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say in hindsight that relief went too far or could have been better targeted at those who needed it most, but that's almost impossible to know at the time when you're trying to implement this. And by the way, the entire world is on fire due to a global pandemic. Totally. And although the American Rescue Plan was essentially passed along party lines, that was the 2021 relief, the CARES Act of 2020, which provided $2.2 trillion in economic stimulus, was passed with a unanimous vote of 96 to zero in the Senate. Excellent point. And before you yell at me and say that there are 100 senators, yes, but four of them couldn't vote because they had COVID. <laughs> that makes sense. It just seems to me to be too small a needle to thread to suggest that it was only the American Rescue Plan that contributed to inflation, while the Bipartisan CARES Act did not. Agreed. The finger pointing is a little bit exhausting. But we also don't want to let progressive Dems off the hook here either. No. I think we can all agree price gouging on essentials is nasty, but call me a capitalist. I'm not sure we need a windfall profits tax on purveyors of luxury or non-essential goods that Americans are voluntarily choosing to spend their pandemic savings on. Preach. This is actually a frequent point of contention in my household, but I think it's a slippery slope to legislate how much income a company or an individual quote should make. Mm. But I totally get that there can be philosophical differences on this point. Senator Sanders proposed tax would apply to all companies with over 500 million in revenues. And in 2021, there were over 2,900 of those companies, including luxury brands like LVMH. What is LVMH? Louis Vuitton, Moet, and Hennessy. Mm. I like many of those things. Also, they bought Tiffany recently. Nice. 
So the point is LVMH is not selling necessities. No. No. It is interesting too, how Senator Sanders baseline years in order to benchmark these profits are 2015 to 2019. So any company that suffered during the pandemic and now all that pent up demand is turning into sales here sitting in 2022, they're gonna look like they're doing really, really well and end up paying a ton of taxes at 95% under this plan. Right, he conveniently leaves the 2020 and 2021 decline in their potential sales out of the equation or in their profits out of the equation altogether. All right, so let's go out with another quote from Gleckman. Given enormous geopolitical and economic uncertainties and a slow to react Congress, the hard work of responding to high inflation should be left to the Fed, not tax policy. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. 